There's something very, very precious about our meeting here today. And I tell you, I think the folks that are here wanted to come to church. You had a lot of good reasons not to come. We've had a trying week, probably the most severe storm in Kentucky we've ever had. We thought two weeks ago when it went down to zero and we had uh, three or four or five inches of snow that that was pretty severe. But I don't think any of us suffered as much during that storm as we have when we had to move into motels or with aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpa to escape the cold and the uh, fact that we had no lights. Our hearts go out to those even today who still have no electricity and no heat. It is my understanding there are from two to 4,000 homes in our area that still have no electricity. And many churches in the county had to be canceled and some in the city because of this. We're grateful for the leaders of our church, our men, and who, who are willing to come early and arrange things, and our ladies to fix the candles and so on so we can meet in this place. And I think we're having a good time. If you are having a good time, say amen. amen. This is good. Now let's bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity of meeting in God's house. We're grateful that this indeed can be a tabernacle right here. We're mindful of that time many years ago on Christmas morning when it was zero and there, were no, there was no power in the city. And we met in this very place on that Sunday morning to worship Thee. We thank You for all the men and women and boys and girls and uh, the nursery children, all that are here today. The other services that are going on in this building. Thank You for those who have provided some kerosene heaters and the lamps and the <coughs> candles and the, all the things that have helped us today. We thank You for the beautiful music. And we pray that now... The Spirit of God will take the Word of God and drive it home to every heart. And may we leave after a while saying it was good to be in God's house. Forgive our sins. And may those who have never been saved be convicted by Thy Spirit today. In the name of Jesus, Amen. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. I don't know whether you can see to follow along in your Bible, but if you can, try it. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be healthy, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. 
Now the rest of the scripture talks about the cure for care. And I want to read it because it relates to what we're going to be dealing with in verse 21. Beginning verse 25 now. Therefore I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why are ye anxious for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto thee that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore be not anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have needed these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Be therefore not anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now would you look back at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There are many things that attract our attention in life. There are many people that build their whole life system and their whole philosophy around things. For example, the banker who spends all of his late and early hours in thinking through things about his bank and his money and the investments and the stocks and the bonds there, he might well say, for to me to live is banking. For the artist who gathers around him all of his canvas, his materials, his artistic things, his brush and his pen and his colors, and he's with them day and night, he might say, for to me to live is art. That's where my treasure is. For the statesman who year after year after year spends his time in the capital, either at Frankfurt or in Washington, and he gives and gives and gives of his energy and strength in the halls of government, he may finally say, for to me to live is government. For the engineer who spends all of his time on the draft board etching out detailed plans for great bridges or the construction of mighty airplanes or mighty buildings. I heard the other day that an engineering firm of which one of the men in our city is a member is now designing a building that will be six stories higher than the Sears building in Chicago and they're putting it in Shanghai in China. Now men who spend all of their hours on the draft board might very well say for me to live is engineering. 
for the musician who spends his early and late hours year after year after year practicing making melody either with a violin or the flute or the cornet or the organ or the piano or some musical instrument he might well say for to me to live is music Paul said for to me to live is Christ Christ has become the sunum bonum of my life others may invest their lives in something else but I'm going to invest my life in Christ would you keep in mind that one of the greatest tent makers who ever walked across history was Saul of Tarsus whom we know as Paul the Apostle that's how he made his living and yet he could say even though that's my vocation that's how I make my living that's what I do for a business for to me to live is Christ he had captured what Jesus said when Jesus said where your treasure is there will your heart be also now the Lord said some interesting things in this passage look at verse 19 lay, out, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust do corrupt now you think of moth and rust what does moth what do, what do moths corrupt they corrupt our clothing uh, they, they cause our clothing to become whole ridden you put your clothing away if you don't put some moth resistant there like moth balls or something else or ammonia or something that will scare the moths away after a year or two or three years you get their clothing out and it's all moth eaten Jesus said put your treasure where moths cannot corrupt or eat away at it now in the Old Testament there are two illustrations of people who felt that their garments and their clothing was the evidence of their wealth matter of fact this is true all over the east and today it's true all over the west we have fashion parades people who wear the best clothes and uh, the shopping centers are filled if the electricity is on I guess it will be filled this afternoon with people going to get some garments uh, to make them look nice there's nothing wrong with making oneself look nice but remember that moths will corrupt those garments one day and if they become the soon bottom of our lives we're in trouble Gehazi who was a servant of Elisha was a good man matter of fact the Bible almost makes him impeccable until there came a day when Elisha dealt with Naaman the leper Naaman was a great man he came down to the south country and found out that there was a God in Israel who could cure leprosy he came to the right man Elisha told him to go dip seven times in the muddy Jordan River at first he didn't want to do it but finally he did it he dipped and he dipped and he dipped and the seventh time he came up and his leprous flesh was as pure and clean as a little child's well he was so overwhelmed he said to Elisha I would like to give you a payment for this Elisha said miracles are not for sale God is not for sale you can't buy God's favor you go I don't want a thing for this Gehazi was Elijah's servant Elisha's servant Elisha overheard it and he began to think 
Wouldn't it be nice if I could get some of those wonderful Syrian garments? And so after the Naaman, the great captain, had gone, all of his company, the servant Gehazi ran down the road, he climbed up in the chariot, and he said to Naaman, My master has changed his mind, lie number one. He said uh, he would like to have several changes of garments from the Syrians because the Syrians put out beautiful clothing. Well, Naaman was more than willing to do this. And so he brought out the finest clothing and he presented it to Gehazi. And Gehazi went back and hid these things. But God told Elisha about it. And in order to prove an important point, Elisha said, Gehazi, where did you go? Well, I didn't go anywhere. Eli Gehazi, you went up to see Naaman. What did you say to him? Elisha, uh, Elisha's servant was caught in his tracks. Why well, he said, I, 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 uh, well, I, I, uh, I tried to stumble around for words, didn't know exactly what to say. And finally he said, well, I, I got some awards for what you did, but I thought, uh, sir, that you ought to have some awards. We need to take good care of you. You see, he was overstepping God's boundary. Sin number two or three. Then, God said, Elijah, Elisha, you put leprosy on Gehazi. And Gehazi, an impeccable servant, a wonderful man, had the leprosy that Naaman had and had to go away from the camp. Because where his treasure was, he had placed it in garments. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing wrong with having good garments. Most of you look awful nice this morning. But if that's where your treasure is, moths are going to creep in there and destroy it, and it will not be lasting. And then he said, uh, watch that you don't let rust corrupt these things. Now, rust can't corrupt garments. What was he talking about? The word for rust is a Hebrew word that usually means to eat up. And, of course, rust does that. It does the batteries, and it does the metal, and so on. Yep. But, in this case, he was talking to people who were familiar with the farm. And the word rust used here had to do with eating up the grain and the corn. Now, those of you who live on a farm or ever had experience with a farm, you know that rust and uh, corn and grain don't corrupt. They don't rust. What does happen to them out in the, crib, out in the corn crib? The mice get in there. And the rats get in there. And the rodents get in there. And the snakes get in there. And they destroy the corn and the grain. Well, the point Jesus was making is nothing wrong with having corn and grain. The question is, where's your treasure? If you work all the time to store up hordes of corn and grain and things that uh, all the things that money will buy, there will be a rust. There will some, come along something that will eat it up. And it will not last. And the Lord is being wonderful and benevolent to say to us and giving us the kind of advice that would say, if you're going to have a treasure, be sure that the treasure is something that will not rust, it will not corrupt, that moths cannot break through and steal it, and, and, and thieves can't break through and steal it. 
Now when he mentioned that, he was referring to the, the kind of adobe type houses they used to have in the Middle East. These houses were made out of, out of mud, sort of a brickish mud, but uh, very, very fragile. And it would be very easy for a thief to come along when you're not at home and just claw away or get, take a little instrument of metal or something or brick and open a little place in that mud house and get into the house and get your treasured possessions. So the Lord is saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in your mud houses. And we don't have mud houses today, but we have houses that thieves break you through and steal. It, would, it doesn't take a, a learned man with a PhD to know that we live in weird, wild, strange times. And you go away from home for a while, and what you have at home may not be there when you get back. How many of you have ever had your houses broken into? Lift your hands. Some of you have had thieves break in. How many of you have had your cars broken into? More. How many of you have had somebody steal something from you? Lift your hands. Now let me tell you, if that is your treasure, you're in trouble. If your treasure has been stolen, you're in trouble. I know some people who have had thieves break through into their houses and take their most prized possessions and they're never the same again. They almost go out of their minds. And they sit and pine and pull their hair and wring their hands and, and just get all upset and depressed because their treasures have been stolen. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Now was he saying that you should not have a savings account? No. Was he saying that you should not care what you look like? You shouldn't wear nice clothes? No. Was he saying you should not have nice furniture? No. None of that. The point he was making is, where is your treasure? Is your treasure in what you look like or what you really are? Yeah. Is your treasure in what you have in your houses or that which houses the real you inside? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And when we invest ourselves in those things that will not last, we make a tragic mistake. In summing this up, I want to suggest three things. Number one, our treasures need to be an investment. Our treasures need to be an investment. Be sure that every treasure you have is an investment. It's not something just for you. It's an investment. Sometimes these investments are in our children or in the future generations. For example, I believe in insurance. We have some insurance men in this place right now and others that listen by radio. I believe that it's wise to make an investment in the future through insurance. You're helping the generations to come. You're helping to take care of your final expenses. You're helping to take care of the house you live in so it'll be paid off if you die. And so on. Those are investments. Be sure your treasure is an investment. Spiritually, every one of us needs to make an investment in the lives of others. If our investments are simply in self, if the investments are just to make us feel better, to live better, just ourself, they can all be swept away. 
I wonder if God is not trying to get our attention in some of the nature things that have happened in the last few years. In the last few that's the last year. In California, terrible earthquakes and mudslides and landslides and fires destroying millions of dollars worth of property. Houses that were estimated at values of five hundred thousand to a million dollars each. In the Middle West, along the Mississippi River, unparalleled flooding. Farmlands flooded, homes flooded, cities flooded. And in the East Coast, beginning with us and on out to the coast, unbelievably frigid North Pole weather. 22 below zero in Louisville. The state of Kentucky closed its highways during that storm two weeks ago. That's never happened before. Is God trying to get our attention? And as if he couldn't get it that way, two weeks later, there's an ice storm. And many of us without electricity, without heat. I wonder if any have said, Lord, thank you. Somebody led us in prayer a while ago and said, thank you, Lord, for electricity. Thank you for heat. These are things we take for granted. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If our treasure is in things, the things will all too quickly be gone. Our treasure needs to be an investment and basically an investment in people, in other people. Secondly, the investment needs to be a worthy investment. Sometimes we can pour, it's like pouring water down a sinkhole. We can pour ourselves into something that's not going to endure. Jesus called this casting our pearls before swine. It is possible for a sincere person, a sincere Christian, to pour his whole life, his whole, all of his money, all of his investment in something that is not worthy. For example, there's a man, I won't call his name, who said he was converted, became a Christian. He was publishing a pornographic magazine. He said after he was converted, I'm going to keep on punishing, publishing this magazine and I'll give the funds to people that are in trouble. And so he's made millions and millions of dollars on his cheap pornography and has poured that into people who gobble up this pornography and are perverse in all their ways and go around murdering people and kidnapping kids and so on. That's a false investment. Even though it's an investment. It's an unworthy investment. Now the Holy Spirit can apply this to our lives. There may be some of us here today who are about to invest our treasure in something that is unworthy. I think, for example, our government is concerned about AIDS. Because they've thrown the Bible out, they cannot mention the name of God in their strange imaginations. Therefore, they're putting ads on television or on the radio saying, the way to avoid AIDS, have safe sex. Give out condoms. Call the hotline. Get all the information you can get. A poor investment. And you and I, our tax money is going to help produce those ads. That's a poor investment. An investment that ultimately will take people down, 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 down 
to illness and destruction. hotline over the others that are talking about this. Same thing's true about abortion. They're saying we don't want a lot of unwanted children. There are a lot of unwanted children in the world. That's the reason the orphanages are full. Well I want to tell you if that's true why is it that it takes from five to ten thousand dollars to adopt a child? Why is it that you have to be on a waiting list two or three years to get a child if there are that many unwanted children? There may be some. They're saying, let's stop it before the children come. And so every year, millions of little babies are murdered in their mother's womb. A poor investment. Thirdly, the investment we make needs to be eternal. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That investment needs to be eternal. And I want to tell you, the only thing that will last forever, people. People. You and I are going to last forever. Ron's brought his little grandchild to church this morning. He said, I don't want him to be in the nursery somewhere. I want him to learn to worship with others. And he's learning that. He's doing a good job. Investment in that little boy. You've made investments in the little boys and girls that you've brought into the world. But I want to tell you, that investment's not going to last unless you give them Jesus Christ. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let Jesus Christ be the summum bonum of your life so that you can say with the Apostle Paul, though I'm a tent maker, though I'm an engineer, though I'm a school teacher, though I work in insurance, though I work in an office, Though I, I do this or that, my, my, that's my avocation, that's my business. But for me to live is Christ, for my treasure is in Jesus and in eternity. What are we sending on to eternity? I've told you before that when I was a little boy, they'd take the offering, I thought they would send it right up to God. And I tried to imagine how those ushers would come in and they'd take the offering and then they'd go back out somewhere and I never did see them anymore. And I, I suppose they'd just taken it somehow and gotten it up to God some way because we would say we were giving the money to God. I learned later they'd go back and count that money or put it in a place and put it in a bank and then the church would vote how to use it and the church would use it for the glory of God in the earth as an investment in eternity. And when you give your tithe, you're making an investment in eternity. You're sending your money on to God. When you go tell somebody about Jesus and you say, here's the way, walk in it. And you let Jesus be real in their lives because He's real in your life. You're passing on that wonderful, wonderful truth that will direct their paths toward heaven. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. How do you lay up treasures in heaven? First of all, personally receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let Christ come in. Be real in your life. Let Him change you from the inside. You see, it's not the outside patching up that changes us. That doesn't make us appropriate for heaven. You could quit cursing, quit swearing, quit drinking, quit a thousand other things, and it'll not make you any better for heaven. 
People may respect you a little bit more, but that won't have anything to do with your getting to heaven. God wants you to have your heart changed. He wants you to have a heart transplant. He doesn't want your dirty old heart. He wants to give you a new heart. And the moment you invite Jesus to come in and you're willing to repent of sin and say, Christ, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Christ comes in. He forgives you. He changes you. And you become a new creature in Christ. And you're on your way to Emmanuel's land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm on my way to Emmanuel's land. I'm bound for the promised land. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him Lord of all. Because Jesus died on the cross for my sins and your sins, not willing that any should perish, but that all of us should be saved. And then one day I came and said, Lord, I want you in my heart. I invite you in. And He comes in, and His coming in is the guarantee that we're on our way to heaven. Let no man deceive himself into thinking that you're going to heaven because you live a good life. Or you're going to heaven because you have a daddy or a mother that's a Christian. Or you're going to heaven because you do certain things. Or you're going to heaven because you go to church. The only thing in the world that will make a place for you in heaven is the grace of Jesus Christ earned for us through the blood of Jesus that He shed on the cross. It is the blood that makes an atonement for soul. The second type of investment is when you and I send up treasures over there by pouring our lives into the lives of others, telling them about Jesus. Some years ago, we received a letter from a, a person in uh, Africa, a black person. And it was an appreciation letter to our church. We had taken a special offering and had sent a missionary in China, in, in uh, Africa, an offering. And that missionary was able, with that offering, to go out into the bush and help some people come to know Jesus. One of those bush people got saved. He, he uh, trained himself through the mission schools there. And uh, then later one day he came to the missionary and said, Missionary, could you tell me, I know it's very expensive what you do, how can you be here and how can you do this work? And he mentioned mission money that's sent from the United States. He said, well, how come you came down to my bush, my little village? He said, well, there's a church over at Bowling Green, Kentucky, Glendale, that sent us an extra offering. And that offering enabled me to go down there and preach the gospel. And that bush guy that got saved wrote a letter of appreciation. I could hardly read it. It was broken English. But he was saying, I thank you for caring about us. That's an investment. And that will go on and on and on and on for eternity. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your heart is, there will your treasure be. So where's our heart today? Where's our treasure? Is there somebody today who would say, by the grace of God, I want to change directions. I want Jesus Christ to become real in my life. I want to give Him my heart. And I'm going to start to, to the land of, of God. I want to start to Emmanuel's land, heaven. Would you do that? Right there where you sit, you can invite Jesus to come into your heart. Right there, here, in this candlelight service this morning. And just say, Lord, I need you. I want you in my heart. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. <coughs> With our hearts bowed and hearts humbled before the Lord. If you're here without Jesus, would you just whisper, Lord, I need you. 
And I want to lay up treasures in heaven. I know that here they thieves break through and steal and moths corrupt and things rust. But I want to lay up treasures over in the heaven. I want first of all to know that my soul is saved. I'm on the way to heaven. And secondly, Lord, I want to, you to use my life and my substance and my business and everything I am to tell others about Jesus. Our Father, we thank you for this glorious hour. I thank you for everyone who has come. We pray that just now the Spirit of God would move in our hearts that somebody would walk down this aisle and say, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and Brother Buster is going to lead us in a great hymn, 252. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. 252. Now listen to this invitation. Some of you can't see a book. Don't worry about it. Sing what you can remember of it. But listen, if you're here without Jesus, you've never been saved, I want to ask you to come to Christ this morning. I want to meet you right here and just, just have a word of prayer with you. Would you do it? Maybe there's somebody here who needs to come and move your church letter to this church. You do what God's Holy Spirit tells you to do. While we sing, while we pray, will you come?